the name of the values that keep you alive do not let your vision of man be distorted by the ugly, the cowardly, the mindless, and those who have never achieved his title. Do not lose your knowledge that man's proper estate is an upright posture, an intransigent mind, and a step that travels on limited roads. Do not let your fire go out sparked by replacing the spark and hope the swamps of the approximate are not quite the not yet and not at all. The world you desired can be won. It exists. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. Hey guys, welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. I'm here with Arlen Whitfield. He is the CEO of Frontier Mining. Thanks for being with us, Arlen. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about mining today. Uh, it's something we haven't talked about yet, but it's something our company is involved with, something a lot of people have you know, been interested in. So we thought it'd be great to have Arland on to talk a little bit about you know, what it is to start a mining company, what mining is, his opinions on the industry, um, and to just get some of his thoughts and insights into it. So I guess with that, we'll, we'll get started. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on, Arlen. So, to start off, I guess if we could just get a little bit about you know what you've done before you started the mining company, how you first got involved in tech, maybe how you first got involved in crypto, and then we'll go from there. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I I've always been a tech guy. I I I, I would say that. Um, you know, my, my parents have been in the tech industry since basically the year I was born. Um, so I always tell people that I, I was born into this type of work. Uh, they have an MSP out in <laughs> California and it's just been, it's been a natural kind of progression all the way up through uh, college. You know, I graduated uh, Syracuse University with a degree in information management and technology. Um, and that's just kind of, it's just my bread and butter, you know, yeah. the bleeding edge tech. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, back in high school, you were involved in a bunch of stuff, right? I think you did some work with drones. Is that right? Yeah, well, drones were more of a college thing. But in high school, I, I did, um, I had a, a, <laughs> a Minecraft hosting company. Um, and I, really? would, uh, I, would, I would host, uh, yeah, I, I had, you know, my parents had access to data centers. I had access to a lot of, uh, uh, you know, hard metal uh, servers so it was a it was very easy for me to spin up a bunch of instances of minecraft and uh, sell subscriptions and um, yeah it was pretty crazy i had people like from like finland and, and all over the world uh subscribing to my servers it was um oh, i wish awesome. i, I kind of wish i stuck with it because after i stopped it looked like i really just took off um, yeah so wh and, why did you stop was it just too much work or i <laughs> i mean um I, I think i didn't know what i had um, you know, I was in I was in high school, and uh, there's a lot of other shiny things happening around then. I was getting yep. ready to go to college, and um, honestly, just I was like, yeah, you know, it's not really it's a video game. It's not really a career um, to to do this type of work, and uh, I <laughs> I am very wrong on that. But you know, it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> I've always had companies, and you know, I had a photography company, I had a you know the Minecraft hosting company, um, you know, a, a website building company. Throughout high school, I I always had little tech things here and there, so. Um, you know, it, it, I kind of, I, I guess I don't really have any regrets. It taught me a lot in terms of like managing people all over the world and collecting payments like that. Um, but it wasn't, you know, 
it helped me prepare me for a next step which exactly is, the yeah. first company you start is the hardest and then you realize oh you know it's just some paperwork and from there on out you know not, exactly. not all that difficult <laughs> it's uh exactly. it's something you got to jump into so tell me a little bit more about the work you did with drones because i think that's interesting yeah you know, uh, not something we've touched upon really at all yeah drone tech um yeah that was that was you know and that was college for me it's basically i was i was really good at IT, I, I've been doing it my whole life, so um, I had a lot of downtime in college, which is, um, you know, something you don't hear often, but yeah. I did. Um, and it, I, I started a, a group called the Skyworks Project, um, and that that still exists to this day. We're actually in an Intel commercial. Uh, I got a link to that yesterday. <laughs> One really? of our members, yeah, he was spotlighted by Intel, and uh, we have our logo and our, our lab up in Syracuse uh, featured in that video. Um, but... Um, yeah, pretty proud of that. Like, so shameless, awesome. plug, shameless plug on that. But me getting yeah, involved no, in, in the drone space was came down to basically me being bored um, between semesters, my freshman and sophomore year in college, and uh, you know browsing the web and finding a YouTube video about this drone. I was like, I need to, I need one of these. And I quickly found out that during that time, there was no way of just like today you go and buy a drone at the store. When I was when I wanted a drone, there was no way of just buying one off the shelf. And there really was not any way of building it either. It, it, it was kind of like, this is a cool, like, it's like, you know, like videos you see on Facebook with like jetpacks, or like yeah. <laughs> crazy futuristic technology. It was kind of like that. But yeah. I saw it. I was like, I was determined to get that. So I spent the rest of my summer sourcing parts from all over the world, talking with uh, people on rcgroups.com, um, just really educating myself about it. And by the end of the summer, I... I was able to you know piecemeal together my first drone um i remember i i finished it building it like three in the morning and i walk out in the front yard and like power it up and I immediately break my landing gear <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i would be <laughs> terrified to <laughs> start it up after all that work yeah and uh you know i was like it was kind of oh well you know whatever and then the next day i flew it a bit and it, you know it wasn't a uh it wasn't as great as i thought it was gonna be but what what really you know changed the game for me on drone tech because i i've had planes i had rc cars like you know it's they you fly it it's like oh i'm flying it was yeah. um my buddy came over with his gopro and we, we you know, slammed it on there and, and took it up right at sunset and i did this 360 above my house and i still have that footage but when i reviewed that footage i was like this is something this is something that's going to change the world and oh absolutely um it was especially it was like, movie making and things oh, like that i know well, it was the amount of data I was able to collect and, you know, getting an aerial at 200 feet above your house. I mean, nowadays it's kind of like, I don't know, uh, it, it, it's, it's taken for granted. But, like, before then, that type of data did not exist. There was no, a plane couldn't fly that low. A helicopter couldn't fly that low. A satellite couldn't get, get that type of data. I mean, there was no, um, you know, 200 foot, 400 foot elevation type data available. Um, to the consumer, let alone, you know, the military. It just, it didn't happen. And we were suddenly given access and this, this door unlocked to very localized geographic data. And um, so when I, when I, I've given a lot of talks about drone technology at like Lockheed Martin at Syracuse University and a few other places. And, um, you know, I really focus on, less so on the drone technology itself, but what drones enable. I, I say that uh, drones are the physical manifestation of information uh, collection. Like, it's basically the internet kind of coming out and being able to collect localized data. Um, 
and, and collect really vivid information. And it, that's that's what I, that's I'm really passionate about that piece of it. I think it's incredible outside of the hobbyist space, um, but it it's it's continues to change the world. Um, you know, every day that type of data. So what what was the company built around? You know, what was the intention? Were you just building it for other people? Were you trying to do more commercial uh, drone technology? What was the what was the yeah, goal? Yeah, I mean, it was initially I started Skyworks Project, um, which is the kind of like nonprofit wing of Skyworks Pro, which is the for profit wing. But um, Skyworks Project was created as a drone advocacy group because right now. You know, drone tech is pretty like what widely accepted, um, but back when yeah. we were doing it, they were feared. I mean, um, the the I remember flying up in uh, my hometown and uh, up on a mountain, and I saw this car like going 80 miles per hour up the hill towards me, um, and apparently he saw the drone from across the valley and thought I was spying on his daughter who was swimming in the pool, and like the aggression <laughs> and like the yeah. the anger that was behind that. Um, you know, I was just capturing the sunset, honestly, but like, yeah. you know, like the, just the, uh, the lack of understanding from in that moment really floored me and, um, about yeah. like a few things like, you know, the capabilities of the drone, like people think that, especially during the early days that they re- these were going to be outside their windows, spying them at night. But well, remember when you that actually... South Park they had, you know, they were <laughs> exactly kind of making exactly. fun of it, but, but like if you, if you take a drone and you fly it. There's a few things that you immediately know, and that's they're loud as <laughs> loud as hell, and their battery life sucks. And in order to accomplish a lot of the things that you that people were afraid of, you would need better battery life, and you need the yeah, whisper the battery life and, seems like a huge yeah. problem. And and even today, it's still not at that point. And um, you know, Skyworks is designed to put drones in front of people and let them experience them themselves to make their own. Uh, decisions about drone technology and we found that uh, I, I mean I'm not even exaggerating about 95% of the time after people got their hands on it and flew one because we had a whole fleet of drones that we would you know do uh, basically go out to the field and help you teach people how to fly um, they would immediately say no this is really cool this, this has really awesome applications and no it's not that scary um, it's you know I, I get what they're capable of um, I think the not knowing was more dangerous than knowing um, in that scenario because, you know, the human imagination is completely endless. And um, it was just really, uh, it was really important for people to know what was happening. So that was what Skyworks Project primarily did. On the private side, yeah, I, I remember did consulting. Oh, good. No, no, yeah, well, I was going to say, I remember back just sort of to touch on the voyeurism part. I remember we were out shooting one time in the desert uh, down by Palm Springs, and we had some guy with a drone, and he just kind of sat there above us and watched us for, you know, like 25 minutes, and it was it was a little uncomfortable, you know. It was like <laughs> we were the only people for miles, and it's like, okay, you're just going to sit there and, like, watch us. Um, yeah, so, was like, he, like, the property owner maybe? No, no, he's just some random guy out in the desert, and I guess we're oh, the only okay. thing to watch. But, you know, it's, of course, it's the person using it at the end of the day, too. So, the, yeah, I, I guess it is, a, there are possible ways it can be, uh, the technology can be utilized for some weird stuff. But that's, you know, that's, of course, not most people. And, you know, as time goes on, I think you're going to find a lot more commercial usage, and people are going to, realize especially with things like drone racing which is something i was going to ask you about when you pair it with vr it creates an experience that's really different and really cool because then you feel like you're flying around i mean have you ever played with that at all yeah no i mean all the i had i mean i built 
I built a small carbon fiber racer drone uh, when I back in college that would go 70 miles per hour. Um, wow. Had a full VR headset attached to it, and I would race with that. Um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. And yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, you know, I, I think I think that that racing dabbles more on the side of um, hobbyism, like being a yeah. hobbyist. And I've always really focused on the industrial and commercial applications because. Um, I do think that they're awesome toys. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I really do. I the I want to, you know. I think using technology to make the world a better place is where I want to be, and that that's kind of what I focused on. So, like drone tech for saving lives during fires, or um, in Syracuse, we were creating a tethered drone prototype that would, you know, you, you mount it on the roof of uh, schools, and if a shooting happened. These, these boxes would open up and uh, tethered drones with like 1080p huh. video feeds, 360 view would shoot up into the sky and give you complete and emergency, oh, wow. emergency responders, That's complete really cool. coverage of the entire campus in real time. Um, and like that, those are the applications that I really was focusing on because um, that type of data doesn't exist. I mean, if you could pinpoint where a, you know, a shooter is on campus in real time, you know, that could save lives. And that's, that's what drone technology, I think, really enabled is, you know, uh, replacing dangerous jobs in a very cost-effective, cheap, and safe way. Um, so, I, I, yeah, drone racing is amazing, though. Don't get me wrong. It's really <laughs> yeah. fun. Um, I think the technology in terms of the transmission needs to come a little further. It's gone a long way since I first started. So but is the relay taking too long for the feed? Is that... Um, no, it's, it's... Well, depends. I mean, there's some really good tech out there, but... Uh, in order to transmit 1080p, 60 frames per second, you need a lot of bandwidth. Yeah, and, uh, they <laughs> haven't quite cool. got it. They're getting really close, um, but it, it it's gonna get there. It's it's a fun it's a fun sport. It's fun to fly uh, those race courses. I don't know. I mean, I've I've flown for years now. You know, years, and I don't know how those guys can fly as well as they do. I mean, they're just <laughs> yeah. amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, it looks super neat. I mean, I think I'm hoping it picks up because I think it's a really cool idea. It's a good way to get people, like you were saying, acquainted with them to give them an opportunity to try it out, you know, in kind of a controlled setting. And it seems like it could take almost a niche kind of like paintball where you have the hobbyists who are, you know, really into building their own markers and, mm -hmm. you know, going to yeah. competition stuff. So that seems super cool to me. I'm always up for new sports and I feel like there aren't enough you know, sports that integrate all the new technology that's coming out. And I, I hope that starts becoming more more of a thing because <laughs> we're still sticking with the sports we've had for hundreds of years. And it seems like there's some really interesting combinations we can put out there for people. Yeah, yeah. And then um, there's eSports, obviously, which is, yeah. you know, an exciting development, I think. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I've always been a gamer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean... That's absolutely picking up now as well. So, I mean, how did you make the transition from the drones to mining? You know, where, <laughs> when did you make that decision and uh, how did that kind of happen? Yeah, well, you know, I got hired out of college. I, I graduated a year early and went to go work for a drone company as a CTO. Um, and, uh, you know, that that was a lot of fun. We did mostly movie type uh, gigs and um, that fell apart after about a year, unfortunately. And, um, you know, in that time, I went back to corporate America, and I was looking for the next big thing. Um, I, th I thought drone technology was really amazing, but um, there was, there was it, it had gotten mainstream enough for massive corporations to kind of take the helm and do much better and much more than I could ever do. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I was kind of looking for the next thing and um, you know just like drone technology I'm looking at looking for technologies that will change the world um, and I stumbled across you know blockchain um, you know I obviously they say that cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and, and Litecoin and Ethereum is a get-rich uh, scheme you know or it's a it's the future of technology uh, disguises that get rich quick scheme yeah. or something yeah. like that. And you yeah, know, I, I, I got in, I, I was buying, you know, Litecoin when it was like 30 bucks. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I, I didn't think much of it. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, but when it shot up and started getting all the hype, I, I really started to take a deeper look at it. And um, I'm not even just talking about the December shoot up. I'm just talking about like, it's worth something now type shoot up. You know, it's something that I've been following for a long time. I just, you know, never really jumped full foot into it. Yeah. Um, because yep. it, it, it's kind of one of those, like, it's like the social network. Like, you need users to get more users, but, you know, you have to have users to get exactly. you know, it's kind of yeah. like, Early stages, you're still, I remember seeing it when it was, I remember seeing Bitcoin when it was $6 a piece, and I almost put in a few thousand dollars, one of the biggest no. regrets I've had. But yeah, you know, same way, you know, you kind of step back, you're like, okay, let's let's see where this goes, and uh, and then it hits that point. So so that was sort of when you started, when when was it that you took started taking a closer look at it? Oh, man, I mean, I, I, I guess it, it's been over a long period of time. I think the, the definitely, I mean, I think everybody started taking a lot bigger look back in December. Um, obviously, I mean, you, you couldn't you couldn't turn or look anywhere without that being you know slammed yeah. in your face. Oh, yeah. um, but um, you know, I, I'd been like kind of like oh you know mine with my graphics card at home. Um, you know, what are the different algorithms? Uh, yeah, I've been doing that for a while. Like not really finding anything that kind of clicked with me. Um, I was really focused more on the, uh, the the ROI piece of it and less so the technology. I was like oh, you know I don't know what any of this does. I don't really care about the, the underlying technology. I just want just, you know, to make, make money, money. Yeah. with my gaming computer uh, mm-hmm. when I'm not at home. And, um, you know, I actually, I, I ended up leaving that corporate job and it was kind of between things. I was, you know, doing some, you know, contracting and consulting on the side. And uh, during that time, I had some downtime and I started really looking and diving deep into, uh, you know, blockchain technology specifically. Um, and what the ramifications of that technology would be on the world. And, um, you know, after after doing a bit of homework, I mean, I, I was pretty much sold on the fact that this is going to change everything in, in a capacity that I had not seen or experienced since um, I did drone technology. I mean, drone technology had, was amazing because it had applications in so many different industries. Um, and I thought no, no technology would ever top this. I would never <laughs> see technology that would be like this. And then... Um, and then blockchain came along and (laughs) I was drawn to it just, you know, intrinsically based on, you know, that, that drive to want to change the world and make it better through technology. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of like what was the imp, like, you know, the impetus of like me starting to look into it. And then the actual mining was just, I, I just started running the numbers. Um, you know, I just started looking at, you know, what it would cost to do it, what the ROI cycles are. Um, you know, just like back in the napkin math, and it just made a lot of sense to start to uh, to do it. Frankly, I mean, I, I sold all my Litecoin <laughs> when it was at like three seventy five, and oh, I, uh, oh, smart man. yeah, I got I got I, that was dumb luck. I don't, I, I'm not going to take credit <laughs> for like calling it, but yeah, I, I sold that, um, and I bought my first miner. And um, good. 
and the rest is so I was just gonna say before we yeah. dive more deeply into the mining maybe a few for people who might not know how it all works how the network comes together why mining is valuable if you could just touch a little bit on what you know mining is and why it matters and mm -hmm. um, why you think it's a good system to work with going forward yeah absolutely um, so mining revolves around this idea of proof of work um, which is basically that uh, Miners solve complex mathematical transit trans. Oh, can't speak right now. Uh, no. Problems essentially um, to uh, to verify transactions to validate a transaction, um, and they do this uh, to secure the integrity of the network. And it's kind of this race, this giant race, where every miner is racing to find this uh, to solve this mathematical uh, puzzle um, in order to get the reward. To solve the block, and um, I think it's like the simplest way of saying it. We're just basically verifying transactions, getting paid for our trouble, and the, the in order to verify a transaction, we have to solve a math problem. Um, that's like the simplest way I can yeah. put it, probably. And that's that's often what um, you know when people ask, like, well, what what are you doing exactly? I mean, we could get really deep into you know cryptography and and yeah, you know, the hash and all that stuff. But I think at, at a top level, for the purposes of like you know our discussion like we're solving math problems to ver to make sure that you aren't lying when you when you say you spent 20 20 bitcoin or whatever yeah exactly and then there you know maybe touch a little bit on the difficulty levels so with mining you know it's going to be diminishing returns based on total users within the mm -hmm. network and so how do you factor some of that into the work that you do and you know how does that matter or yeah. why should that matter for people? Well, yeah, so difficulty is basically the network's calculation uh, based on how many people are mining at the time. Um, so the idea is that there's a certain, uh, I think Bitcoin's every two weeks, uh, the network reevaluates how much, uh, how, many, how many miners or how much hashing power is being contributed to the network and adjusts the difficulty of those problems to uh, basically equalize that amount so that the block time, which is about 10 minutes, I believe, stays the same. Um, and that, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically for blockchain, or uh, for Bitcoin, there is a lot of, every coin has its own like caveats yeah. on all this, the own, like how the difficulty scales. So we're, we're talking about Bitcoin at the moment. Yep. Um, so like, the difficulty is basically a, a mechanism that allows the network to not just you know, if we had all the hashing power that we had go mining Bitcoin uh, today, if we were using all that exact amount like two years ago and the difficulty never changed, we probably would have mined it all out already. <laughs> like it just, yep. the, we would just be solving, I mean, the, the, the value. Control the supply. Exactly. So it, it kind of was like, a, it's a safety mechanism. It's a, um, like a supply and demand gate that uh, allows people to contribute to the network and for the network to grow without the integrity or the value completely just falling out. Yeah, to me it's beautiful how they've structured the incentives so that, you know, everyone is working towards the same goal, they're getting paid out, you know, proportionally. Um, and yeah. how that works, you know, it's it's through the mining pools. So mm -hmm. for people who haven't, you know, read into mining pools essentially, um, and maybe you can touch on this a little bit, but you know, in the beginning uh, you didn't necessarily need mining pools in the very early days because the 
the difficulty level was significantly lower, but as it's increased, you need to pool your power with other people in order to successfully solve blocks. Um, yeah, and, and so that's become a large part of it. Yeah, and I guess the the you know the one piece I didn't mention about mining is that it's essentially a giant giant lottery. Um, you know, everybody in the world's trying to solve the same math problem at the same time. And I mean, for Bitcoin specifically, you have no hope of solving a, a, a Bitcoin block with yeah. a single miner in your house. Like um, when somebody says they're mining Bitcoin, they have miners. They are not mining Bitcoin directly. They're mining is they're they're contributing their processing power to a pool of people that are all sharing the reward. Um, because the statistically, the more miners you have mining, you know, we're talking about tens of thousands of miners mining together at the same time odds are one of them are, is going to find that answer and be awarded that. And um, because that miner is part of the pool, everybody shares a percentage on that reward proportional to the amount of uh, computing power they uh, throw at the network. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of like this uh, mini industry that has emerged. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, it's been, you know, it's, it's basically, basically the only way to go now. I mean, you don't really have an option to mine direct, which is, you know, what people say when they're, they're mining direct. And, um, and I don't think it's advisable at all. I mean, some people do it. Yeah. Some people do it with, like, when they have lower-end hardware and they're mining some, like, uh, altcoin, they'll mine direct because, you know, if you get one block, like uh, I was mining Ravencoin, and I think each block you get 5,000 coins as a reward. Um, and if difficulty is low enough, if you if you mine one block, you could make up all your money in a single transaction, um, instead of waiting for weeks to get your you know two percent of that reward. Um, so there's there's like it's a balance. There's definitely a balance. So with that being said, you know if maybe you could touch upon what the different coins you know you can mine are and what some of the positives and negatives are to mining different coins, what maybe the major differences between some of the algorithms. So I think it can be very confusing for people who, you know, have just heard the term Bitcoin mining and they haven't heard about some of the other stuff out there. So, you know, yeah. anything, you know, you think might be relevant. Yeah, I mean, so um, I, I guess you have to talk about the actual coin technology. Uh, so Bitcoin uses the SHA-256 algorithm to, you know, secure its network essentially. But there's many cryptography, cryptographic uh, algorithms out there, um, and coins will pick and choose various ones for different reasons. I mean, Ethereum uses eHash, and uh, Litecoin, I think, uses, God, what does it use? I have to look that one up. I don't know what Litecoin is. I'll tell me. I don't mind Litecoin. <laughs> it's yeah, profitable. Yeah. But, um, like, you know, like, there's a lot of different um, algorithms that people use um, to mine those coins. And I guess for the, like, you know, for a miner, it's important only in the capacity that certain uh, graphics cards perform better at certain algorithms. You know, AMD cards are better at some algorithms than NVIDIA cards. And you got to, like, make sure that you're playing to the strength of the hardware you're using to mine. Um, but as far as actual like end of the day result, um, I would argue that there's very little difference between the algorithms, um, aside from uh, like I said, optimization for certain hardware um, and for ASIC resistance, which we probably should touch on. I think we will yep. later, and um, and for uh, power consumption. Uh, there's new algorithms that are coming out uh, lately that have been designed to use less power, which um, I think is also another topic we'll <laughs> talk about yeah. probably later down the road. I don't want to like jump too far, but um, you know, power consumption is always a, a huge thing uh, when it comes to 
uh, mining and, and uh, algorithms that become more efficient and streamline that process is obviously a good thing. So with all that being said, I mean, that's, that's a lot to preface. So how hard was it, you know, with your first customers trying to explain this to people? I mean, this is something we've had to do a lot is when you talk about mining, you know, it's not just a pitch. It's an explanation of, you know, it's kind of a lesson, you know, <laughs> it's a lecture to a, in a sense. So did you have problems trying to explain it to your first customers or did most of them come to you with some knowledge or just not really care? I mean, luckily we did, you know, it, it, I guess, yes, it is difficult to explain blockchain technology to a person that has never even heard about it outside of the word Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. And uh, But as far as, like, our first customers, I mean, that was people that had been following the space, um, had already had substantial investments in uh, altcoins and uh, Bitcoin, and, um, you know, they knew what they were getting themselves into. That was an easier sale. Now, I think the more interesting stuff is the people that had no idea. Those sales... Uh, and this might surprise you, um, were probably easier than the altcoin guys that had really? substantial holdings. Yeah, I mean, um, and, you know, I, I maybe I got lucky and found some people that just were really um, excited about Bitcoin technology but didn't know much about it. But, um, you know, I've, I've been on several screen shares where I'm going through kind of our pitch, and um, they care more about the movement. They care more about the... Uh, what they're contributing to, Philosophy what they're, and yeah, what they're building, and you know, and that that's actually it's funny because when we first started doing this pitch, it was very technical. You know, we we go into like here's the algorithm, this is what you're doing, this is how we're contributing to this, and here's the coin, this is you know, and and their eyes glaze over. They really yeah. wouldn't care. Like they yeah. just they don't care. They don't even care how like what mining software. They don't care about anything. All they care <laughs> about is that they're contributing to a network. Yeah. Of, uh, in something that people believe in, that they're they're accumulating wealth. That it's you know it's profitable in the capacity that they aren't negative every month after power, um, and that you know they they have a, they can access their their miner via dashboard and their wallet anytime they want and um, you know we we got to the point where we just started kind of skipping the actual technology pitch and, and discussing the movement and discussing I mean, all the things that I get excited about with blockchain. Um, and, and, you know, like, and how it's going to liberate people and it's going to give people choice and investing is going to be easier and cross-money relations are going to be easier and, you know, like, what's going on in Venezuela and Bitcoin, like, all these, like, amazing things that's changing the world, changing how everything operates. I mean, that's that's what people want to hear about and they want to be part of that. Um, you know, I guess the other, the other key thing is that the people that we tend to uh, talk to are, um, you know, accredited investor types um, that have substantial holdings and that don't care... Um, I mean, they care about making money, but they, they're not looking to make, like, you know, pay off their rig in two months and, and then, yeah. you know, quadruple their thing. Like, they're completely happy paying not off their rig. Not trying to win the lottery. And, exactly. Like, they're happy, you know, doing, like, you know, mining to a mining pool or selling their hashing power and making, you know, a steady amount of money that's predictable and that they know in about, you know, two years they're going to pay off everything and then it's pure profit thereafter. Um, and that's at current values, by the way. Like our, our calcs always run at current values. But I mean, as a an institutional investor, I've had guys that have done real estate deals that take ten years to pay off, twenty years, thirty years to pay oh, off, and they're like, off. "Wait, you're saying that I, you know, worst case scenario, <laughs> I'm paying this off in three years? Like, yeah. well, well, sign me up. Like, I, I don't even like. I, I see the numbers. It makes sense. Like, I don't care about the spiel. Like, this is, you know, it's <laughs> it's. Because you think about it, like if you buy a crypt, uh, a miner, you know, like a, a miner, you're you can buy that. And unlike any other kind of investment vehicle, you can buy that with uh, pre-tax money. 
So these guys are like, I can buy hardware that basically prints money uh, that you know could be untraceable depending on how they run their yeah. books. And you know, it's kind of like a weird. It's it's a very interesting investment vehicle. Um, yeah, it's different you can't than buy, anything yeah, before. You can't buy stocks with um, you know pre-tax income, but suddenly they have a way of spending pre-tax money on uh, hosting and management and, and hardware that they can write off on their taxes, and that essentially prints money at the end of the day. It's just a really weird kind of gray area that that's emerged from this and um you know they're dumb they've been investing their whole lives and like oh well this makes sense to me like why not (laughs) so with with that being said how did you kind of decide on a business model so i've talked to a lot of guys who have done mining you know we're trying to set some stuff up as well but Mm -hmm. the business models seem to vary pretty drastically from person to person as far as you know how they want to structure the deal who owns the underlying asset so how did you come to decide that was that with you know input from investors did you just kind of figure it out on your own decide what was best well um, I mean so Frontier Mining's parent company is called DCG Technical Solutions and they've been in the hosting and and, uh, IT space for 25 years like forever Um, and and the IT and and I guess tech world terms 25 years is a long time Um, so they've been around and and, um, you know I'm I'm leaning heavily on their infrastructure and their kind of what they've learned in you know the 25 years of of, um, of being in business to kind of build our business model and and that basically comes down to is um, we aren't a hardware company yes we sell miners yes we will sell you as many miners as you want and um, you know we're good at building them we have the expertise on that but we're we're a, like a white glove hosting and management um, uh, tech company and. Uh, selling the rigs is basically me saying, you know, the people that are probably our deal customers don't have rigs right now, so let's just take care of that for them. Let's add that to our suite of services, um, and uh, that you know that just kind of was an organic. Um, it kind of just emerged. It was kind of like, okay, we want to sell miners, but uh, we they we're selling these miners to people that don't want to plug it in their wall and, and make their house 300 degrees. <laughs> yeah. They don't want their power bills. They, just want, they they want to be part of it, but they don't want to get their hands dirty. Let's just take care of that whole thing. And that, that was basically exactly. the white glove. I mean, that's it's white glove cryptocurrency mining or crypt- mining as a service. There's a lot of different ways you can put it, but we just wanted to make it, you know, give us your money and um, we'll make sure that you, you are up 100% of the time that you're taken care of and you don't have to worry about graphics cards dying or RMAs or driver updates or window, you don't have to worry about anything. You just, you it's like yeah, mining without the, the pain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pain. You know, you don't, you don't want to put that much money in and realize you can't even set the thing up. <laughs> exactly. That's really and I had, that's ha- and I, that, that, you know, I had friends and, and, and uh, close colleagues that have been kind of dabbling on their side. They have approached me since I started this and been like, you know, I've, I have like, 20 graphics cards that I have plugged into a computer, but I can only get one to mine. And I've, <laughs> yeah. I've been sitting on this like one miner with 20 cards attached to it for you know a month. And I'm just like, that's you know killing. That's killing. Yeah. Why? Like, let's get you going. And you know, you know that it's it's you know, I guess the first miner I built took me three days. Um, I can build a miner in like uh, you know a couple hours now, depending on how nice the drivers are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what the goal is, but um, it's not. It's not something that you know. Uh, it, it's a. It's not easy. You know. It, it's not. Yeah, most people do not take a class on how to build miners. So, <laughs> and, it's, and it's even you know you got to know hardware, you have to know software. So it's it's a lot that has to come together, which I think is why 
it's been primarily reserved for the techies and the people who mm -hmm. are at the forefront of the industry like yourself. So yeah, I think once the everyday person gets more used to the idea and they see that it's a very reasonable investment when you compare it to all the alternatives, uh, the returns are pretty great and there are a lot of different ways to utilize those returns. Um, things like cloud mining, for example. So do you guys do any cloud mining? And that's maybe something you can describe for people and why someone might do do cloud mining in the first place. Yeah, I mean, so cloud mining, cloud mining is controversial. Um, and, and that's for a number of reasons. I'm sure if you guys like Google cloud mining, Genesis mining and a few other places will come up. And uh, I think Genesis, Genesis mining was recently in the news. It's getting, uh, I think, sued by the state of Georgia <laughs> or something. But basically, cloud mining is the idea you pay um, one of these companies, like Genesis Mining, uh, X amount of dollars, and then that guarantees you a certain amount of hash, hashing power or processing power, um, mining a certain coin. And depending on your contract length, that could be a year, two years, five years. I know some have like lifetime contracts with some weird kind of like penalties and conditions. Um, <laughs> I don't know print. why you'd ever want a lifetime contract. For <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, the reason, it's like if it sounds too good to be true, it is. And, and, and that, that goes back to that conversation about difficulty. So Yeah, that's what I was saying. You know, it did, yeah. that you don't want to set, set hash yeah. power when the technology is moving past you. Yeah, exactly. You don't like um, like Genesis Mining. You buy a contract, and you say you buy you know a terahash. That terahash, you know, with difficulty going up every single week since you know Bitcoin is you know difficulty continues to go up even as of like this week yep. or last. Like, even when Bitcoin was dipping, it was still going up in difficulty because people are turning on huge amounts of processing power every single day. Um, new data centers are coming online. New mining operations are coming online, and that difficulty continues to grow. So that one terahash that you buy diminishes every time that happens. That processing power becomes worth less every time that happens. And um, you know, because you are paying a set amount for that hashing power, you're kind of at this race to the bottom with when will you break even? Because the, the company that's selling it to you wants to make sure that they make the most amount of money, um, but they want to make it just attractive enough for somebody to buy the contract. Um, so they, you know, because like, why would they sell you the processing power if they can make, if they could just use the processing power and make more money? So like, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I don't know why anybody would do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as far as like cloud mining itself, I don't advise it. I know there's a lot of people that would speak otherwise on YouTube. I, you know, I, I follow some of those investors and I'm sure there's, there's some like contingency or some altcoin that you could mine with a cloud contract that might might do well if it, you know if it moons, but as far as like getting into mining, um, I, I think there's better options um, because ultimately at the end of that year contract, you own nothing. You don't yeah. own the hardware. You don't own anything. You're paying you just, a premium for the convenience. You know you got to realize yeah. that that's always going to be yeah, the case. And like if you're if you're doing it like like if Bitcoin goes to twenty five thousand at the end of the year, what people are saying it's going to then a cloud mining contract will make sense. It's one of those things where when everything's going up, everything makes sense. And that's, yeah. um, you know, it's dangerous because as soon as like right now where Bitcoin's at 8,000 and uh, power costs is going up and difficulties going up and the hashing pain, it, it becomes, it makes, you know, it, it's, you have to be really focused on your margins. You have to be really focused on your profitability, what you're mining, how you're mining it. Um, you have to really be like accountable like and, and pay attention to that because 
Uh, not everything is shooting up. But when that happens again, you know, people will be out buying graphics cards by the, the box again. and Yeah, I know. And, it's very uh, cyclical. Yeah. It's funny. It dies down yeah. and then everyone free. It's like, you know, it's funny being around for long enough and seeing seeing the cycles unfold and everyone freaks out and then price shoots back up and everyone scrambles to go buy in. And, yep. <laughs> you know, it's like just slow and steady. Just keep it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and I don't. And cloud mining is a is the relies on that type of hype, um, and I, I think that's it could be almost predatory at times. There's definitely some people that have, I mean that where they aren't necessarily getting all the money they were promised. Or there's there's a lot of um, problems with that because essentially you're buying security um, from a company that isn't licensed or you know controlled by the government to sell securities, um, and that's what's what Genesis Mining is having trouble with right now is that. George is like, whoa, this is security. Like, what What are you doing? Are you licensed? Yeah. Is this all, like, check out? And they're like, uh, no, what are you talking about? And, um, you know, now now they're, I, I think it's going to end badly for Genesis Mining, is, uh, unfortunately. I just, I can't see that going well. Um, so, but yeah. as, as, as mining correlates to the prices of the coins, do you notice with your customers or, you know, new clients that it's very cyclical or correlated to the price? In terms of how much they're willing to pay, or how eager or I'd say purchase, how much demand way. you see, or how easy it is for you oh. to attract new customers, you know, is it? Oh uh, uh, yeah, it, it is it so hype based. Pretty, yeah, it is so it is painfully hype based, and um, you know, right right now, like I, you know, I, I'm, I'm when I'm talking to clients, I'm like, look, like, you know, if you would be buying this in an instant if it was back in December, and that would have been the worst time for you to buy it. Yes, exactly. um, But now you have an opportunity to get on board, have everything up, so you're mining during the next December and looking like a genius. Exactly. Um, and, and, like, you know, obviously we're both deep in the crypto space. We believe that it's going to survive and it's going to be meaningful and it's going to be worth a lot more than it is now. Um, so, like, I guess we're biased in that. But if you don't believe that, then you shouldn't be mining in the first place. Like, yeah. It doesn't make sense. Um, so, you know, Tell, selling that story and telling people that story is how we're getting our sales. Um, but yeah, it is. It's all hype based. It's all about yeah. um, you know for the, the everyday user. And it's kind of like that whole like right now, in, in institutional investors are getting into the market, while all the like you know the the guy that worked at the gas station was buying Bitcoin back in December. Um, you know, and like everybody that had you know didn't even have money to, to invest was investing and taking out credit card you know lines of credit to, to invest in Bitcoin at twenty thousand, like those people are you know those people are also buying miners. But now that they're gone, we're getting really solid clients that understand it, that an investment doesn't pay itself off in in two weeks. That it takes a year, it takes two years if you're lucky. You know, so it really like it's important to I think it's we're getting right now we're getting the type of clientele we want the 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 real institutional type investor types so have you seen a lot of them mining to hold or are people typically just flipping it to lock in whatever profit they're getting on the month because it seems like a lot of people look at the returns and they think okay I'm gonna flip it and sell it and I'm gonna cash in and make <laughs> you know whatever 20% instead of just holding it waiting for the price to spike to a point where they should actually start offloading it yeah so our happiest customers are the ones that mind to hold and I I, I kind of say that jokingly but they're the happiest because you only win or lose in mining when you cash out so yep just like um, you could be mining, exactly. Like you could be mining, 
for 11 months and, and be negative. Like you could be so negative. I mean, I'm not saying any of our clients are negative, but I'm saying that even like you could be completely negative and then say it happens, December happens again and it, you know, five X's, 10 X's and you sell, then that whole entire year of mining suddenly becomes profitable and you're fine. So um, I, 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 for our, our clients, because they have their investor types, we tell them don't sell this hold it, it's going to 25,000, it's going to be above. This is a long-term hold uh, type move. Um, and you're gonna, you're gonna make your most money by holding. Um, now, there are, we have clients that do a lot of speculation, so they'll mine like altcoins um, and sell them at the end of the day. It's kind of like a, you know, they'll get in early, they'll mine a bunch of it, they'll hold some of it, they'll sell off to kind of pay their, like there's, the, there's a million different strategies when it comes to like speculative mining, but for the majority of our clients that are, you know, not necessarily into that, they're just mining and holding, and they're happy with that. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, you know, similar to commodities markets, a lot of miners, uh, from what I've heard, are actually using the futures markets to hedge against uh, their mining operations. So, you know, if, you're, if you have a large operation, similarly to if you run, you know, some sort of farm that does a lot of corn, you want to hedge against the likelihood that you lose it all in a hurricane or something mm -hmm. uh, by betting on the futures markets or essentially shorting it, putting downward pressure. Um, have you heard of anyone doing that? Do you have any thoughts on that being done? I mean, none of our clients are doing that, I guess. Um, okay. They, I mean, they, I don't think they're at that point. Um, I, we, part of our responsibility at Frontier is to educate those clients and to help guide them. So it's something that we have kind of mentioned in passing, um, but you know, the, a lot of these guys are just saying, well, you know, it's gonna pay itself off in you know, a year or two years. Yeah. Um, I'll think about it later. Like, it's just, it's, it's not that pressing. Um, but I do, I do understand the advantages of, of kind of shorting that. And, um, and I, I guess, uh, you know. It seems more kind of, like something you would do with a more centralized, privatized operation, I guess. So yeah. since you have clients, you know, they don't have as much to lose as someone like, you know, Genesis or some. Well, that's isn't that what Genesis is doing? Essentially, I think you know you're right. They're, they're I'm taking out of, futures um, on their clients. I mean, the, basically, yeah. their clients are buying the the, the long. I think right? Isn't that what? They're yeah. Doing? <laughs> um, yeah, essentially. So like, I don't know. <laughs> it's working out for them, I guess. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about is a lot of the mining initially started in China. Uh, China accounted for, you know, I think it was over 60% of the total mining, far more than that at points. Um, so what do you think about some of the mining moving, moving westward and what's happening in China uh, as it relates to your business? I mean, it's, so, you know, we, we, we obviously sell miners, but um, we also host miners and it's been awesome for us. Yeah, um, you know we we a lot of cheap S nines coming over. <laughs> well, not even that. I mean, yeah, obviously buying S nines is great, but you know I've been contacted by a number of large, large cryptocurrency mining operations from China, saying, "Look, we got thirty thousand miners. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, we have thirty thousand yeah. miners that we need to deploy, um, and nobody's got power for it. Can you help us out?" And like, so those types of accounts that we're dealing with. Um, have been extremely lucrative for us, obviously. I imagine, yeah. Um, so, like dealing, I, I, I think that you know China banning that's been great for our, us. I mean, that's that's kind of like the kick that I think the hosting market uh, needed out in 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 the United States, and that's why we're seeing this influx of people that need hosting. Um, so it's it's been great. You know, 
uh, DCG and Frontier have been in the hosting business for 14 years. Um, we're really good at it, and we have a full like uh, management center for that. So it's just been it's been just a really natural like fit. Like that's kind of like the evolution of Frontier is, um, you know, letting people bring bring their own miners and, and helping them get that hosted. So one of the main main problems brought up with the Chinese mining markets was the use of you know coal powered electricity and. Uh, environmental concerns as far as how they were getting the massive amounts of energy to use the miners. Have you uh, thought about, you know, things like solar or other ways to get the energy? I know there's a lot of hydroelectric, um, mm -hmm. but do you think going forward more miners are going to be attracted to more self-sustaining operations? I know there's some, uh, there was an ICO for a one company that was putting them in shipping containers with solar panels, things like that. Um, do you think people might move towards that, or it'll be still more warehouses hooked up to, you know, large high voltage lines? Um, so, I think I hope so. I guess you know, yeah. the, the 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 greenhouse gases that are generated from mining uh, scare the crap out of a lot of people, and um, I guess being in the actual like industry and securing this power has really given me kind of an understanding, kind of a different viewpoint on this. And that's that hydroelectric is the cheapest type of power out there, right? And in order for miners to make money, they need to secure the cheapest power. So um, unlike, you know, if we go and, and use coal or, or use a different, you know, more like fossil fuel heavy uh, energy source, it's going to be cost more per kilowatt and we're going to make less money. So there's this kind of like free market thing going on yeah. in the mining space where we're driven to find cheap and re renewable power just because it's inherently cheaper. And that's kind of, I think, the best synergy you could possibly ask for um, in terms of that relation, like the free market relationship, because people are naturally incentivized to find the greener power and use it. Um, you know, Washington has been something that's often talked about, in Moses Lake specifically, um, as having some of the cheapest power in the country. And I, I flew out there. I, I, I walked around Moses Lake, and the industry there is dead. There's nothing happening yeah. there. They, they make the majority of their money selling their power to Los Angeles. And wow. the idea that, you know, miners are coming in and, and, and using that power and building industry in that area and utilizing a resource that has basically been untapped because if you think about it, how much energy is lost to power lines and heat routing power from Washington to California. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of waste there. And in some ways, we're kind of, we're, um, we're maximizing that investment where we're bringing money, we're paying the power company for their power in the con in the state that it's generated and, and putting money back in the economy in a place that otherwise would be vacant because there's no reason to be there. Um, and we're seeing that pattern all over the country. Yeah. You know, people I mean, are, are going next to power plants that have been abandoned and, and hydro and dams and, and, and really kind of optimizing the infrastructure of the United States um, to, to utilize that cheaper power, that more efficient power. So, yes, I, I think there's people out there using coal and, and, and doing it uh, in a bad way, but because of how the United States has structured its power and its taxes and its tariffs on pollution, um, it's not cheap for us to use crappy power. You know, yeah. we want to use the cleanest, most efficient power possible because uh, paying three cents, a, basically, you know, if you pay anything over 20 cents a kilowatt right now, on an Ant Miner S9, you I mean, are that's negative. that's a lot too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. well, LA prices essentially. I know in Iceland, yeah. you know, the energy companies so aggressively, uh, sorry about that siren, <laughs> New York City for you. Um, yeah. But uh, the energy companies so aggressively are trying to 
uh, entice mining companies that they'll, you know, they'll charter you a helicopter to do a tour of Iceland, you know, just for coming out because they're making a majority of their money now on miners because they're, you know, they're using geothermal heat, which I think is great. Um, and I know one thing that I think is interesting, so twofold, I know our CTO, Will, was talking about using miners also as heaters, which is an interesting idea. So if you can hook them up to solar panels and use them as heaters, you know, you can have this essentially a heater that prints you money and runs mm -hmm. off solar energy, you know, especially in less developed countries like certain parts of Mexico. And, you know, they still use fires to keep themselves warm. Um, and I'm hoping solar gets to the point where, I mean, I know USC for years has been stuck trying to figure out how to use nanotechnology to increase the efficiency of solar or photovoltaic cells. Uh, and they can, they're trying or they have postulated that they can increase the efficiency from 10 to 20% all the way up to 90 to 95%, which would be, you know, absolutely absurd. I don't mm -hmm. know why we're not putting all of our resources <laughs> into that one. Seems like kind of an important one. But, yeah. um, you know, I think there are a lot of cool ways that miners can be utilized so that, you know, you're not wasting any, any part of it because a lot of people do need heat and uh, there are a lot of interesting and sustainable ways to do it in the long term. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's much more, uh, it's better, I think as a, as a person that was trying to generate money from a heater, I'd rather my heater pay me than me just to pay to put money into the heater. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> I mean, it, and like, you know, there's, there's, that's the interesting thing with the decentralized nature of what we're doing and what we're building is we're, we're building new industries in like backwater places, you know, that, that have had no industry or have, you know, was maybe a coal mine that was abandoned and and that whole entire city is kind of dying on the vine. But suddenly, because they have access to cheap power, um, you know, they, they, the people are suddenly coming in and visiting and putting money into those local economies. So, um, you know, I, I think that there are definitely drawbacks in terms of that, that, that green load, but there's so many positives that are starting to emerge from this. Yeah, um, I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. Just the money that's flowing into the countries that are, you know, opening their arms to it. It's huge I mean, for the, the Chinese, industry. The Chinese, like they're, they're, because they just got banned in, in China, all that money that's going to pay for the electricity, we're going to have a giant influx of, you know, basically Chinese money into the United yeah. States because, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for, you know, bringing money into the U.S. And what a better way than to sell a resource that we have excess of. Um, and convert it and dump it back into the local economies of places that just you know aren't aren't you know making it. Um, yeah, it's surprising to me. I think I think I guess the problem you know policy wise, it seems like the politicians who are fighting it are just really don't understand it. They see it you know in the context of the dark net, and you know it's hard to get it across that by becoming one of the leaders in this industry early as as a country, you know, it can have huge ramifications down the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know the other piece of this, and, and it's you know necessarily like I'm not saying it's like the end all be all for the energy argument, but um, you know the blockchain is replacing like the Ubers, replacing the Facebook, and the, you know these and YouTube. Like blockchain is potential replacing entire companies and that have these huge, huge operations, uh, these buildings, and the you know yeah. like what's the cost of an employee at you know Uber? driving to work every day and all the electricity used to run that building, the carpet, the paint, 
um, you know, the, the actual server infrastructure. I mean, there, if we could replace Uber wholesale, what's that, what's the, you know, are we going to, are we going to save uh, more energy if we just put it on the blockchain and decentralize it? Or, you know, like, there's something to be said there. There's some efficiencies to be gained about um, eliminating this kind of middleman and just oh, letting massively. people go peer. And so, like, I mean, when you do that, you're, you're reserving way more. I mean, if you take, so a company we've been, uh, working with a little bit called Arcade City, um, or we've been just talking to them, their business model, super interesting just because they're doing, you know, zero margin P2P services. Um, and that means that the drivers make more and the riders pay less. So all that money that is going towards the margin for Uber that ends up at the corporate level and they're, you know, probably $50 million office in San Francisco and, <laughs> you know, even the banking sector, how much real estate and money is tied up in just banking buildings and you know all that money if you just essentially cut out the need for that proprietor uh, or whoever is you know essentially managing it for everyone else and you decentralize it let people just conduct business amongst themselves it's going to be uh, a huge matriculation of all of that money back down to the level of the people who are actually using the services yep yeah exactly so like I, I guess we don't know we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what this impact's going to be, but I, I think that we might be pleasantly surprised in terms of the energy. So, you know, I know we've talked a lot about the Bitcoin mining. So if we, I want to touch a little bit about all the altcoin stuff and especially, you know, Antminer has the new dedicated ASICs. So you've, you know, you touched on that briefly. Um, and, you know, even on top of that, some when you're talking about the different algorithms coins are using, some coins are uh, preparing like quantum resistant algorithms. So there's a lot of interesting developments happening. Um, so what do you think as far as the algorithms go, as far as the new mining uh, technology that's coming out? Do you think, you know, I guess what are your opinions on, on ASICs and what are your opinions on the safety and the security of the current technology and where it's going to be going forward, do you think? Yeah, so I, I think you're you're alluding to the uh, the Antminer, Ethereum miners. The Ethereum yes, and correct. ASICs. And yes. <clears throat> I guess we should probably, I mean, it's kind of late in this podcast, but to, to define a term, but ASIC is application-specific integrated circuit, and that basically means that um, that machine, instead of like a graphics card that's designed to do gaming and movie editing and then, you know, also can mine, uh, application-specific integrated circuits are designed to do one thing, and that's solve a certain cryptographic algorithm. So uh, Antminer S9 can only solve SHA-256 SHA algorithm uh, hashes. Um, so what, what, what's the problem with the, uh, the Ethereum Antminer that has came out is that um, previously uh, Ethereum has almost been like a bastion for GPU miners um, because it was thought to be ASIC-resistant. Um, because of you know how the, the the hashing works and you know we get into the technical details on that, but it's essentially it was kind of thought to be the one thing you know kind of, that was a GPU that was mined by GPUs exclusively. And when um, you know Bitmain announced the Ethereum Antminer, I was definitely worried. I thought that you know this is going to be a big problem, but um, essentially. <laughs> What, what happened is that they released a an ant miner that uses 800 watts. It, it mines as fast as 
basically two-year-old hardware, and um, it's essentially six GPU chips on a board with a big heatsink. And you know, that's <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> nice that it didn't you know completely blow. Like basically, like if you if I mined Bitcoin with my my GPU, I would get nothing, like pennies, because yeah. of how insanely efficient the ant miners are. I mean, an ant miner can mine it at thirteen point five terahashes where a GPU-based miner would be lucky to get a few mega hashes. And we're talking about a factor of, that, like, you know, tens, it's just, it's a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> and we were worried that that was what was going to happen to Ethereum. Um, turns out, it's not. You know, it's, it's kind of like a beefy GPU rig. Um, and it's, 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 it can now, it can beat two-year-old hardware, but, you know, in July and June, uh, we have the Ampere and Voltier graphics cards coming out, um, which are said to do, you know, significantly better. So, it's kind of like, yes, this probably would have been a problem a couple of years ago, but there, you know, it's it, the the we're not talking about a huge increase in efficiency here, and um, I just I don't see it as being a, a massive issue. Do you um, think yeah, Ethereum is getting close to uh, to moving to proof of stake? As a result, so a lot of people said, you know, maybe this is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. <laughs> it's going to force them in that. But, you know, they've been saying forever that the move is going to happen and they haven't, you know, taken that plunge yet. Yeah, I mean, it's been two years, I think, since, this, since yeah. they started talking about it. And I think it's it's actually on the test net. Um, so it's definitely, like, in the process of being made. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, if this is the thing that switches it over, um, I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised but it seems like there'd be better reasons to do it um you know proof of stake is a is an interesting concept and for those guys that don't know that are listening um you know proof of stake is basically you you have uh, you buy currency and then you escrow it to the network um as kind of like i own this this much um and i'm credible because i have x amount and um as a result you're entered to a sort of lottery um where you, you get randomly chosen to verify a transaction and receive the reward for verifying that transaction. Um, and that's just, that's your odds of being selected is proportional to the amount that you have put up for escrow. And um, that requires very little electricity, very, you can use very minimal hardware. Um, and it's very just, it's just purely based on how much you own of the currency on that network. Um, and a lot of people like this, um, you know, for a, a variety of different reasons, you know, the barrier to entry is really low. It's more decentralized because um, anybody could probably quote unquote mine it or have a stake in it, um, and doesn't require a lot of you know money or power. Um, but there's also a lot of people that are against it because it's based on how much you own the network. So in theory, you could purchase 50 percent or 51 percent of the network and control the network. Um, now with Bitcoin, that would be very cost prohibitive. But a lot of the newer coins that are coming out, where they're, the market cap's only you know, a million, two million. Um, it'd be very easy to do a 51% attack and, and kind of take over that coin. So, um, I don't know, I think there's, there people are, granted, nobody's going to buy out probably the entire market cap of Ethereum. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I, I guess, you know, there's there's definitely some concern there. The other thing is, Bitcoin during this roller coaster is kind of, you know, it, it was dipping down. It never really went below six. And I believe that's because of, miners that have mined it know what their power cost is. It's kind of like when you go and mine gold, and this is like, I guess people use gold all the time when they, when they yeah. talk about Bitcoin, but you're mining gold, you know what your costs are. You have to pay for the, the drill, you have to pay for the people, you have to pay for the shipping, you have to pay for the processing. And like, there's a certain floor that is naturally set because of your costs to acquire that good. 
And Bitcoin has that same unique property because I know how much it costs for me to mine uh, Bitcoin. Like I, I, I can, you can, there's sites to quantify how much a single Bitcoin costs to mine, um, depending on where you are in the world. And with that cost, you kind of get this natural floor where people that are mining and have like, you know, Bitmain has been mining forever. They probably have, you know, millions and millions of dollars with the Bitcoin yeah. and they aren't, they aren't going to, they're going to be buying because they know that it's cheaper for them to buy than to mine. Um, and like, so there's this kind of natural equilibrium that we hit because the, it, there is a cost of acquisition because there is a floor, um, and I, I think that if you know a currency forgoes that and everybody just kind of has a vote, uh, uh, like a an opportunity to to put you know buy a ticket and put it in a bucket to get randomly selected for a lottery, I think a lot of that goes away, um, and that that floor and that security around uh, the value of an asset goes away. Um, and that's, I, I think, kind of dangerous and probably one of the things that Ethereum, the, that community and, and the, the leaders are tackling right now is how do you take a currency that had an intrinsic value due to the cost to mine it, um, how do you take that away and what, is, what does that mean to the value of the currency, what does that mean to the, the people that are using the currency, um, and how do you do that transition if you should? So I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I'm cu- it's definitely going to set a precedent. Um, because they'll be probably the largest one that switches the proof to stake. Proof of stake. Um, so and we'll so, in, in the case that they do, you know, where do you think most of the miners would go who are using GPUs? Uh, are there any coins oh. that you, you know, are keeping an eye on that you recommend? Um, and then, of course, you know, the ones that you think everyone else is keeping their eye on and recommending. <laughs> well, Ethereum, I actually, I don't mine any Ethereum. And uh, that's because I my rigs tend to be uh, Nvidia based, um, and Nvidia chips aren't that good at mining Ethereum. We're better at mining like Zcash and uh, yeah. you know all that stuff. And um, and so I guess it, it doesn't really affect me that much. And neither did the the fact that they were announcing um, the the ASICs. I was like, well, I don't mind that anyway. But you know, like Zencash yeah. and, and Zcash and uh, Bitcoin Gold. I mean, there's a lot of like currencies that are very profitable for me to mine um, with with a GPU based rig. Uh, Monero has always been amazing for yeah. you know, it's especially with their ASIC resistant fork. I mean, the difficulty dropped off the charts when that happened. I mean, the hashing power dropped off the charts. It was very profitable to mine uh, Monero during that transition. And um, you know, so I guess it's not it, Ethereum's never been a thing. Now, if you were a an, an AMD uh, GPU based miner, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's definitely a concern, I'm sure, for a lot of people that have made substantial investments into that side of the ecosystem. And, um, you know, I, I don't know where they're going to go. I mean, they, <laughs> they, 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 we'll see. I, I, there's, there's always another coin to mine. You know, like, I think CoinMarketCap has a, over 1,500 currencies listed on that. You know, not all of them are mineable, but a lot of them are. Um, and yeah. uh, that's just, that's a that's a matter of time before you know people find the next the next Ethereum. The other thing is that we're in this kind of like pets.com of the internet boom. Um, like we don't know what the winner is going to be. Yeah. You know, the, the right now we it might look like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and you know Litecoin or the big three or Ripple, wherever you know whatever you think about Ripple. That's that's a different matter. But um, yeah. like like we don't know that these are going to be the currencies. We don't. So that's why I kind of. I'm betting on GPU-based miners over ASIC because I want to have the flexibility to mine the next quote-unquote Apple or Google that emerges from this kind of uh, wild west that we're in right now. 
Yeah, that's you know that's exactly why we were we kind of postponed putting out our consumer-facing miners because we saw the Ethereum you know coming. We wanted to focus more on Nvidia-based GPUs, but we also wanted to wait until you know the newer ones come out, and mm -hmm. that way you give people options. Because I think the first a lot of the first people who might buy you know more at-home or in-home miners for things like that are going to want to they're going to want to have the option to do different things and it's going to be a changing industry so you want to give people options and like you said you know i think a lot of a lot of the alternative coins that you can mine might be a lot more profitable going forward or at least will give people that feeling that you know they might hit it big which i think is exciting as well you know like you said a lot of times it can be like playing the lottery so i think some people have seen some of the meteoric rises of these other coins and they want to catch the next wave and you know maybe it won't happen but you know <laughs> it it definitely can happen i think the industry is still young so yeah i i, I think it, a good story for that by the way i'm just jumping in there is yeah. that you know I, I had a buddy that you know two years ago was mining Ethereum when it was like $8. And he was negative. He was running negative yeah. for, for months. Um, and he was using, you know, a crappy AMD rig. And it was just kind of like, yeah, you know, he had ant miners, so he was kind of doing other things. He wasn't paying attention. Um, but I can tell you that that rig paid itself off if you took the oh, value today in I'm like sure. a few days. Um, he was mining, a, he, he was able to mine a single Ethereum every day. Wow. Like that just blows on a, cra a rig that's. <laughs> inferior to anything that we're mining with today he was able to mine a single ethereum a day and we're still in that stage like i think in a couple months or you know a year we're going to be like wow i was able to mine 0.0001 bitcoin you know whatever it's going to be yeah. i was able to mine that much a day and we're going to be like holy crap like that made so much sense you know especially when it, you know if it hits 25,000 or hits whatever crazy number that you know whatever famous guy is talking about right now or you know you got yeah, people yeah. threatening to eat hats and other things. Um, <laughs> like, like that's you know, I think we're in that that same stage. We're right now, we're, you know, we're going to be looking back on this time and be like, wow, we were a genius. Why didn't we dump more money into this? Why didn't we decide to mine more of this? You know, that's kind of yeah. I feel like some of the go. smartest things you can do are look at you know the company management, look at you know the strategic partnerships they're making. I think a lot of people just hear a coin name and hear people talking about it, assume it's the next big thing. But I think company management is really important, and also you know partnerships. So like Verge, for example, partnering up with uh, Pornhub. I think that's really interesting. We were thinking about you know adding functionality for that with our miners, so that you can pay for your Pornhub premium with your miner. You know they're really <laughs> cool business models that you can build yeah. around. Uh, some of these ideas. Um, yeah, I mean, Verge is interesting. Verge has been, I mean, that team, it's its a polarizing currency. You know, yeah. there's people that completely love Verge. And are head I'm over pissed heels. they beat us to the punch, honestly. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, we, we'll see what happens at Verge. I mean, it's yeah. down, it was down like 35% the other day because after that partnership was announced, which kind of like blew me away. I don't know what happened, but you know, there's there's definitely, Verge has some internal strife, and I'm curious to see if they're able to get through it. But, you know, what, what it's kind of interesting about cryptocurrency and altcoins specifically right now, when people give money to these ICOs and these currencies, is that um, we're basically, for the first time ever, as a consumer, able to invest in a startup before institutional investors ever get to it. Exactly. Like, there's no, yeah, there's no Y Combinator. There's no, like, uh, I don't know, what's the what's the big one? Sequoia 500 Capital. 500 startups. Like, yeah, yeah, 500. Like, we're Anderson able, as, from our house, from our, you know, keyboard at our house, we're able to invest and get 
a part of these companies that are going to change the world in a few years. We're able to get and it's in also global capital floor. markets, which is interesting because you have all these people from outside the United States who have the option to get into a company that you know might have IPO'd on Wall Street, and you know then you need to be the underwriter to get access to it, and you know. It, yep. it really is democratizing the ability to invest, and it seems like that's one of the major causes of income disparities is, one, people who know how to invest and people who don't, but also people who have the access to the investing and the information to get them there. And by lowering that barrier to entry, which is really what Regulation A was you know, attempting to do, and this sort of proved more than anything that it works great because people are, I think the main problem right now is just the lack of information, the lack of honest, you know, analysis of these things because you have a lot of shills, a lot of get rich quick <laughs> schemes, but once those peter out, exactly, yeah. you know, I'm hoping that those don't give it such a bad name that the regulation, you know, ends up negating all the positive aspects of giving people access because uh, it seems like they're almost moving in the direction uh, of some sort of paternalism where they're saying, you know, you guys clearly aren't smart enough to manage your own money, you're getting scammed too much, so now we're going to regulate it and you're going to have to be accredited, which is scary because, you know, you should at least be able to and, you know, if you lose money, hopefully you lose your le you learn your lesson or, you know, hopefully with some of the tools we'll be putting out, you can play with paper before you actually invest on your own, which I think is important for people to do. Um, yep. But, you know, you touched earlier on all the ways you thought blockchain was going to change the world. So I guess to close on, you know, something interesting, where do you think it's going to manifest itself? What are you most excited for? And uh, how do you see the future playing out going forward? That's a nebulous question. It is, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> um, take it whatever direction you like. Yeah, I mean, so I guess, you know, I have to preface this by I believe that you know, cryptocurrency is going to change the world. I think that's going to replace the currency that we use on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, I we've never seen a disruptive technology like this, and I said that with drone technology, and now we're seeing with this. I'm you know happy I was able to talk about something so disruptive so soon after that. Um, but as far as mining and as far as you know the future of that and, and cryptocurrencies as a whole, I think that mining will always probably need to be required um, in order to secure the network, in order to incentivize people to support the network. I mean, that's that's the real differentiator we have here. I mean, decentralized it's technology like this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, you know, the Tor network has been around forever, but the Tor network doesn't work. You know, it's slow. It's, it's you know, it can be compromised. There's only a thousand exit nodes because nobody wants to pay for them. Yeah. And, it, you know, with cryptocurrency being decentralizing everything, we suddenly have access to unlimited amounts of processing power, unlimited amounts of uh, storage. And, you know, we have this kind of global network where the processing power that was previously wasted at our house is suddenly able to generate us income and incentivize to give it to the network. But also, you know, we're share. It's almost like for the first time ever, we're able to share these resources that were previously impossible to share just because of how hard it was uh, to compensate and track. And now it does it automatically in a, in a system that is trustless. Like we don't need to trust anybody. It just, it's inherent with the system. And that's, that's really, really like 
groundbreaking. That's really and it, special. It seems like it's coming at a time when we we're starting to realize we can't trust all the centralized uh, power. Yeah, and organizations, I mean the whole Facebook, you know, like the whole Facebook, Facebook exactly. thing. Yeah, it's perfect. You know, we're timing. realizing they're taking advantage, and we can't trust them. Is really what's what it comes down to. And or, yeah, uh, I mean even Uber, even Uber, like Uber you know, has so much control over the, and I guess YouTube is another good example. They have so much control over the lives of the people that rely on their platform to make their, their living, to survive. And um, it seems weird that one company can basically control somebody's destiny just by, you know, if they change, like Google, if they change an algorithm, they change their search algorithm. I've had, you know, CEO buddies that have completely lost their companies because their, um, they got bumped down on the Google results, you know, to yep. the second page, and they lost 50% of their income. Like, am I even exaggerating? I mean, there's, one company should never have that much control over another, and um, this decentralization, you know, power to the people type thing, like, it's letting the individual, it's letting the, you know, the Upworker type or anybody suddenly have a voice and suddenly have the, uh, the freedom to choose and do what they want. It's incredible. Yeah, and I think you know it's changing the way we think about companies. At the end of the day, it seems like the more you get the users who actually invested in the company, uh, the better it is. You know, most people who use Facebook don't have Facebook stock. Most of the people with Facebook stock probably don't even use Facebook. Um, so <laughs> I think it'd probably be probably smarter. They know something yeah, we don't. Exactly. So you know, it, I'm hoping it gets to the point where you're gonna decentralize investing to the point where you have m much fewer large investors who are controlling the direction you know who have these board seats and they get to kind of call the shots mm -hmm. while everyone sits back at their will and you have more of the people actually using the platform getting to weigh in on what happens and what direction they want the company to take and that's what's cool about uh, cryptocurrencies is you can add things like voting rights and you can get people to the point where everyone is involved in the process and it feels more like a community and less like a, a dictatorship. <laughs> <laughs> it, yep, uh, 100%. That's exactly it. Well, I mean, with that, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and if you have, you know, any closing remarks or, you know, <laughs> I encourage everyone to check out FrontierMining.net. We'll uh, yeah, put that link in the, in the description for everyone. But anything else you want to close with, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, shameless plug, you know, check us out. We're, you know, Frontier Mining. We do white glove uh, mining operations. Um, we also are looking for large industrial, like enterprise level uh, hosting of mining operations from China. If, you, if you're from China and you need a host, let us know. We have a lot of space. We have megawatts and megawatts of power. Um, so, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my telegram is probably the best way of reaching me, and that's at Arlen W. Um, and I'm happy to chat more and answer any questions you guys have. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, we'll be back soon with more. Uh, thanks for coming on, Arlen. We're happy to no have problem. you back anytime. Yeah, thanks so much.